0: cloth house
1: Clubhouse. This is Love It or Leave It for Only Murders in the Building. Hi, I'm Sheila, and today I have with me my cousin, Orla. Hi, Orla.
0: Hi, Sheila. Hi, everyone.
1: Thanks for coming on the show today to talk about Only Murders in the Building. So where are, where in the world can we find you these days?
0: So I'm currently in um, a place called Alghero on the island of Sardinia in Italy, basically in paradise, and it's a beautiful sunny day.
1: So exotic. I love it. Yes.
0: Makes a change from grey autumnal weather, for sure.
1: (laughs) And no rain, I'm sure.
0: So as you can tell, Orla doesn't necessarily hail from where
1: I hail from. She's from Ireland initially, so this is definitely a nice weather change for you from rainy Dublin.
0: Yes, very much.
1: But we are not here to talk about Dublin or Sardinia. We are here to talk about only murders in the building. It's on Hulu, and the last episode is out. So we are here to give you our love it or leave it should you watch it or should you leave it? What we're going to do is we're going to divide this podcast into two halves. The first half, which you're going to listen to now, is going to be the spoiler-free version where we tell you about the series, who brought it to you, what it's about, the premise. We'll give you some little tidbits about the show, and then we'll give you our love-or-leave-it estimation. Then, if you have watched the show, we invite you to continue listening because we will dive into the show deeply, into the themes, into the spoilers, into the plot points that we liked or we didn't like and then we'll give you our final summation if it's, if it's still worth your time or not.
0: The show is available on Disney Plus outside of the United States for anyone who's listening in more international areas. That is interesting. Is Hulu not and something that's available to you? No, um, oh. not that I'm aware of. Maybe there is the option for international subscription, but I don't think so. I don't think so because it's it's a ver- it's a
1: fairly restrictive streaming service. like in terms of like whereas like Netflix, you know, everybody f- from back in the day has been sharing everyone's Netflix password.
0: That doesn't happen, Sheila. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs>
1: But Hulu is very restrictive in in that. Like it has to match the IP address.
0: Yes. And so I think you have to be in IP address from the United States. Um, So I don't think Hulu is available to us. So Disney Plus has it. And that's where I've been watching.
1: It's so interesting to me, like how sort of like that cross pollination of licensing kind of works. So, oh, I guess it is because it is 20th century Fox and then Fox is now owned by Disney. I I
0: guess. I don't know. I was going to say you have a background in this. You know more about that kind of side of things than I do. Um, Your previous life when you worked in the the TV? Oh, God, many moons ago. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. We're both young. I'm only old
1: in my mind. Never mind what my joints tell me about
0: what the day is like. (laughs) Disney Plus, in Europe at least, has um, Stars, which I think is a separate streaming service for you guys.
1: Yeah, that's like a premium cable channel for us.
0: Oh, okay. Um, so that's covered under the Disney Plus streaming here and um, I guess some shows that are only on Hulu. There's still other things that we miss out on, unfortunately, but uh, hopefully it'll come eventually.
1: Well, at least you were able to get this in the in same like, real time because you and I were watching these episodes and texting each other back and forth Yes. about this, this show. So I thought that was... A good segue for someone who may want to come on a podcast and talk about it. So,
0: Yeah, you you twisted my Play-Doh arm very easily So,
1: yeah. So, Steve Martin is one of the creators behind the show. And Steve Martin, I think, needs no introduction. He's definitely been around forever. And if I were to, like, ask you real quick, what's your favorite Steve Martin thing ever?
0: Ooh, that's a tough one. Right? I think it might be Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. (sighs) Ah.
1: I'm going to have to say for me Little Shop of Horrors because I'm going to go see that play later today with the the amazing Jeremy Jordan and Christian Borle and Tammy Blanchard. But I really would have to say probably Father of the Bride.
0: (laughs) Oh, a classic as well. Yeah, I think when I saw Steve Martin was in the show, I immediately texted you going, have you seen this show? And you're like, have I seen it? Yes. (laughs) I feel like Steve Martin was very much a part of our childhoods in some ways through our uncle. And um, when I saw he was in the show, that's what Drew me to him.
1: Same. So when I saw it with Steve Martin and Martin Short, I was like, Yes, I'm in. Absolutely. My thoughts exactly. Like even if it's terrible, it's still gonna be good because of these two. Yes. So I didn't go in with like a ton of high hopes, I'll just be honest, because I was just like I didn't know what this would look like on a streaming service. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. So so Steve Martin was one of the creators And John Hoffman is another one of the creators So he's in the credits as uh, being co-creator with Steve Martin And I really wasn't familiar with the name Like it didn't jump out of me going Hey, I know who he is But he's done production for Grace and Frankie on Netflix I don't know if you watched oh, that I love that show Yes, absolutely obsessed And then there was also something else that kind of caught my attention Something called Looking It's on HBO Max And it's with Jonathan Groff It's from 2014 2015. It's just two seasons. My husband just uh, watched Mine Hunter, finally catching up to pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, how have I not watched? That? I'm like, I only told you about this like three years ago,
0: but I've never seen it either. So I'm I'm even further behind, John. Oh, but that's uh, why. Um, but it, I know it'll be my kind of show. I guess I, I I swing between watching something like that and then something more comedic. So
1: Mind would be a great story to watch, and then a palate cleanser would be Only Murders in the Building. Exactly. <laughs> yes, As exactly. you come down off your true crime high. <laughs> Yeah, so that's what John Hoffman's kind of been known for. So some of the producers on this were Dan Fogelman, who is known for his work on producing This Is Us. You know, there's a lot here. Uh, he did. He, he was on Tangled. He did Cars. He, so you know, he, he goes. Back. Like, that name is
0: really familiar, and that that explains it. Yes, he goes
1: <laughs> back a long way in in my lexicon of of pop culture of things that I like. There's something called Shit Happens. That's hilarious. What,
0: what is this? That sounds familiar, too. Is that a film? (laughs) It's, It's
1: a short. It's from 2003. It's by Dan Fogelman. So that's really, like, the production team. So then Steve Martin and Selena Gomez and Martin Short were all executive producers as well. And then they're also the starring cast. So we'll talk a little bit about the basic plot. Okay, from IMDb. Three strangers who share an obsession with true crime suddenly find themselves caught up in one. That does not give you a very good overview, sort of, where this goes or the caperiness of
0: it? No, no. And it, it doesn't actually make it as appealing as it is if you watch the like whatever 20 second trailer on Hulu or Disney Plus, which was what immediately hooked me. It's way more way more nuanced than that.
1: That's really too simplistic. So this is a comedy. It's based on true crime, which are two things that don't normally go together, but they make it work. They they really do. They do. So from Hulu, from the minds of Steve Martin, Dan Fogelman, and John Hoffman comes a comedic murder mystery series for the ages. Only Murders in the Building follows three strangers, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, who share an obsession with true crime and suddenly find themselves wrapped up in one. When a grisly death occurs inside their exclusive Upper West Side apartment building, the trio suspects murder and employs their precise knowledge of true crime to investigate the truth. As they record a podcast of their own to document the case, the three unravel the complex secrets of the building, which stretch back years. Perhaps even more explosive are the lies they tell one another. Soon, the endangered trio comes to realize a killer might be living amongst them
0: as they race to decipher the mounting clues before it's too late. That's much better. Isn't it? I don't think the IMD one would would attract many people to watch it. (laughs) They
1: become embroiled in their own little, you know, murder mystery tour through their love of this one podcast by Cindy Canning, right? Okay, not everything's not okay in Oklahoma. Yes. They come to realize that they have an opportunity and a skill set to flex a little bit, right? In order to try to figure out what happened in their own building.
0: They're immediately drawn into that world and, and. I think it's okay to say that they have creative backgrounds, yes. and so that's part of it too,
1: right? So there's a murder in their building that occurs. It's one of their neighbors. They believe that they were among the last to see this man alive, and they don't believe the official police version of how his death is ruled. His death is ruled a suicide, and they don't believe it. They decide to start their own podcast in the in the form of their idol their 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 shared love of a true crime podcast by this woman named Cindy Canning,
0: played by the wonderful. Beautiful, Tina Fey is spectacular and everything at the hijinks ensue this is weird to say because it's on the streaming service but one of the things I liked was the delayed gratification of having to wait every week for the, the episode to release which uh, I guess won't be something that's there for people now because all it by the time this podcast is released everything will be out there it builds so Nicely, with the weeks uh, waiting apart, that uh, I really enjoyed that.
1: I agree. There are certain series that do lend itself better to a week-by-week drop, the way that this was. So, like, Hulu dropped the first three episodes on the first day, like the end of August. And then it was week by week. Was that the same for you?
0: Yeah. Well, I I definitely got a couple of episodes together. I can't remember if it was two or three and then um, I had to wait a week. And I, you know, immediately you're like, wait, what? This is totally unfair. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Uh, Because you're used to just being able to consume now at at the rate you want to, but actually it makes it more enjoyable. It it made me um, appreciate the time that I was spending watching it, as in I wanted to be not overtired and I wanted to be able to really enjoy it because it's such a great show. The, The fact
1: that we did have to wait a week in between gave us opportunities to... You know to reach out to each other and talk about it and did you watch it and what'd you think and
0: exactly yeah without like spoilering for the other part like with time zone differences and <laughs> and we,
1: were just at the, we were always at the same point and it would always be like you know tuesday yay it's only murder in
0: the building day exactly and that doesn't really happen anymore right it's no. quite rare that um that you're you're getting content like that so it, it was nice i mean that sounds i guess it sounds weird because we all appreciate it so much that we could just consume things as we wanted and not having to deal with TV schedules but this way of releasing it was nice the last
1: podcast that I recorded was about the uh, season two of of Ted Lasso some of the criticism from the people who I was recording the podcast with they said that you know it, it felt you know like the week by week was you know was hard to kind of deal with this season and I said you know in order to prep for the podcast i binged all of season 2 because we were just at the the season finale and we recorded it and i said i liked it so much better from a binge-worthy standpoint whereas i think this is better dissected week by week one episode at a time so i think i binged the first 3 episodes because i was like i need more of this because it was just it was such
0: yes an it, enjoyable it hooks you.
1: hook yes but I definitely appreciated the the need to wait the seven days in between in order to to think about it and digest it and, and like hypothesize exactly. about where they were going next
0: because there are so many twists and turns in in, in the show um, your your brain is kind of like processing throughout the week and then you watch it and you're like oh, what uh, and it's just gives such a great um, entertainment for that reason I thought it worked for this type of a story so
1: I watched the whole series again
0: yesterday. <laughs> Just to, the
1: whole thing. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a dedicated podcaster. You are. We've seen the whole season right now. So we're letting you know that we're not going to let anything out until the second half. But seeing it back through the lens of knowing how it ends, you pick up on so much more watching okay. it. So if you've watched all of omit all the burgers in the building omit B. I recommend going back to watch it again. Just knowing what you know from the last episode when you get there, you just see a lot more because now you're an informed consumer and you see what you see what was there all the long, but you just didn't know what to do with it.
0: I think that's a, a kind of a great show, right? That it stands up to multiple watches um and films obviously do. And when you pick up something different when you watch it, like that's just fantastic. That that's what makes something have staying power for me. I like Modern Family for that reason as well.
1: Yeah, there's there's certain things that do hold up well, and I feel like this is one of those those types of stories because of the the subplot. The subplot for me was, and it really it really hit home in watching it the second time around. Was really about loneliness and making connections and not feeling so alone
0: in this world. Exactly, especially when you're all, like they are all living close together because they're in a, a condominium, an apartment building, but. Yet they all have these completely separate lives and they're not, before this incident, they're not connected at all. It, it was really an
1: overarching theme because each of the three main characters had their own sort of like subplot of what they were significantly dealing with. You know, we see Steve Martin, um, his character, Charles Hayden Savage, he makes omelets and throws them in the garbage. Yes, in the first episode. We we don't understand why he does this very kooky thing. And then when we do learn what it's about, it makes sense.
0: And there's a great kind of sadness to it in that sense.
1: And Oliver has a similar story. He's He's a Broadway director and he's struggling. He's on hard times and he's on the brink of just a lot of bad news in his life. He feels very alone. He feels very isolated from his son who lives in New Jersey. Mabel's character as well. She's got her own sordid tale where she's a very closed off. She's a very defensive individual where she doesn't let anything out because she's just she's got trust issues. And she even says it. she goes, I'm afraid to trust. Uh, at one point so I love the fact that this this podcast brings them together and helps them to find like a
0: shared connection really goes without saying probably but the fact that Mabel is uh, Selena Gomez and is obviously of a different generation to Steve Martin and Martin Short so they play on those nuances too and like they teach her stuff and she teaches them stuff like Using Twitter, but she's like, "Stay away from TikTok." Yeah, that made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Properly, (laughs) so I think that uh, there's some just brilliant lines like that that just floored me.
1: So let's talk about the casting then. So we, we mentioned Steve Martin. He plays Charles Hayden Savage, right? He is
0: a a detective in a TV show called Brazos. Not Bozos. Not Bozos, right? That's what... No, Brazos. <laughs> Oliver. That's my, Oliver... my Dublin accent. Yeah, no, Oliver
1: stumbles over that at one point and he was just like, Bozos, right? And he's like,
0: Brazos. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's something you picked up on the second watch, right? It was,
1: it was, definitely. And then Martin Short plays Oliver Putnam. And then we have Selena Gomez, who plays uh, Mabel Mora. Really
0: don't know what she does. I don't know what her her day gig is. No, and she's immediately kind of out of place, right? Because this is this grand old beautiful New York building. It makes sense that, uh, you know, a formerly successful theater director and a former uh, TV star live there. But you know, it's a big question mark straight away as to why somebody so young is there. And that's really what is one
1: of her hooks that intrigues Charles and Oliver. Like, who are you? Yes. you fascinating creature.
0: <laughs> also, she gives them no time. She doesn't know who they are and she's she doesn't know anything about them.
1: Oliver and Charles are, I would say, what, in their 60s?
0: Early 60s. Yeah, yeah I would say in their
1: 60s. I'm terrible with figuring that kind of stuff out. And she's decidedly in her 20s. So, there is this large age gap, but they are brought together by this this love of uh, a true crime podcast, and how that comes about is very it's very charming right the there's a yes. there's a fire alarm in the building, and they're brought together because they're ousted from their apartments right so then they 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 realize that they have this this shared love It's fantastic, yeah any other characters that we should make a note of
0: here after the second episode they start introducing all these other characters and they're all these fantastic actors that we all know and love and every week I was texting you going oh my god he's in it or she's in it and that just helped me um, enjoy it so much more as well you mentioned um Cindy Canning the the podcaster that brings them all together like seeing that that was Tina Fey was immediately like another big tick for me um in terms of the other characters, it's really all of the other personalities living in the building for the most part and how they come in and out of the story.
1: So you touched upon it here. There's a bunch of cameos as well that Tina yes. Fey among them. Jimmy Fallon is uh, makes a quick appearance.
0: Oh, I missed him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he was in the middle. He was in the middle. We'll talk about them in the spoiler section. Um, him, okay. and, him and actually Tina Fey have a scene together. Um where Cindy Cannon oh. is on The Tonight Show and yes uh, and, sorry now I remember yeah, and promotes the Only Murders podcast, in sort of like a, a tongue in cheek kind of mocking kind of way, but still like you know the I guess the the feeling is that any publicity is good publicity.
0: Hilarious, given that we're doing a podcast about it. But she's like, well, like it seems anyone can do a podcast these days. Even this guy Brazos is doing one. Yes, and exactly. So it's very it's very mocking of the fact that you know
1: they'll just let anybody with a microphone do this. These- <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> No shade. No,
1: none, none whatsoever. There's a a litany of cameos that we'll we'll dive into the second half because we don't want to give anything further away. It it was surprising and not surprising to me in a way that they got like such big names. But when you, you know, counter the fact that you have Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez as your top three build actors, it's not a surprise that people wanted to be part of this project.
0: No, definitely not.
1: When you've... Stuck around for part two, I have a, a cute little story about how one of the caveos came about. It's, uh, it, it's, it was cute. So let's talk a little bit about the setting, like the visual, like where this takes
0: place. Aside from anything else, you immediately get the feeling in the the first two to three seconds of the show that you're in New York, um, just the way that the, the feeling of being on the street um, as as Charles Hayden Salvage is walking around, and then it brings you, of course, to this beautiful, beautiful building, the Arconia, um, which I think you're probably way more familiar with than I am, but um, it's such a classic New York feel setting and. It kind of reminded me um, of the cinematography of things like Home Alone and and films like that that I would have grown up watching, you know, um, with a New York feel to them. I guess Home Alone 2, Lost in New York.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that would
0: definitely be the one.
1: Which, oddly enough, even though it's October, was just played in my house earlier this week.
0: Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. We are, like, synced, even though we're thousands and thousands of miles away. (laughs) But this was actually a very funny sort of
1: like set up for me because I'm watching it with John, my husband. And like you said, the first two or three seconds, like you see this behemoth of a building that the Arconia that the setting uh, takes place and where all these people live. And John says to me, he goes, I've been there. <laughs> I taught somebody in that building. I was like, is it called the Arconia? He goes, no, it's called something else. So it's actually called the um, Bell. It's called the Bell Nord and it's on West 86th street. So it, it is on the okay, Upper West okay. Side. It's uh, it takes up an entire city block. So they used the like the facade of one building. So it's basically like a mashup of a couple of different buildings I found. Okay. But most of it is the Bell Nord, which has this courtyard.
0: I was gonna ask, does it have the awesome courtyard? Yeah. And like you want that's
1: that's how you get into the building is through this courtyard.
0: I love, by the way, how you do a little impression of John and his Long Island accent there as well. I don't even know <laughs> if you realize it.
1: What but. did I do? It? I, I, it probably comes so natural at this point after 20 years. I, I think it was like, I've been there. <laughs> I even do it there. <laughs> but, but he was just um, like so chuckled at the fact that like this place that he'd gone to for weeks and weeks for years, every week for a lesson is, you know, being featured in this show that you know has these iconic people in it
0: presumably it's not a publicly accessible building like it's a private residence so there's probably not that many people who've been inside and know that it does actually look like that in the courtyard right and it does take up a whole city block it is a big that's incredible yeah Yeah. it's just to me it's a little bit of a shame because i think the name arconia is a little bit more beautiful than the bell nord bell nord (laughs) yeah (laughs) but actually um the style of the building is very italian um in that respect or like even french it's it's reminds me like these old european um apartment blocks as well
1: well it was decorated in so it was built in 1908 and it was decorated in a louis the 16th style so
0: oh there you go and coincidentally it's the same age as my house in dublin (laughs) (laughs) look
1: at these coincidences happening left right and center
0: Basically all of the story
1: takes place in this building. This is really um a feature, it's its own character I'd say in the in the show. Yes. And I I wanted to just talk a little bit about how each of their apartments were decorated as well.
0: It gives more of the character when you see how their apartment is decorated. But like the opulence was what struck me straight away. Maybe because I live in a small apartment in Italy. But like their entrance hall was the size of my entire apartment. (laughs) Um, The way that Mabel's apartment was decorated was obviously instantly striking. For Charles and for Oliver, I was a It's how I expected their apartments to be decorated in a way.
1: Yeah. It was just this like attention to detail that I wasn't necessarily expecting, especially upon the second watch, because I was starting to match the personalities to the rooms that I was seeing. Yes. Martin Short's character, Oliver's, apartment is very like it's very dark in it's the paint color on the wall and things like that
0: but it has like loads of lush velvet kind of curtains and stuff like that right so it's very theatrical so it's it matches to his his style I guess I think he wears like le- uh, not leather velvet jackets as well so it just kind of to me that all just evokes theater straight away Charles's apartment is a little more streamlined it's a little more um, minimalist exactly it's it's stylish but it's kind of cold in a way like it's kind of stark it doesn't have the kind of furnishing warm touches that you see in Oliver's
1: his wallpaper it looks like Hubert it has like all the it's a very like art deco kind of a style. Yes. Did you yeah. notice that? And his, he has a pillow, a throw pillow from his couch that matches the wallpaper. I don't know if it's significant. Oh, I did or not notice that. that it, is it, was a sec- it was definitely a second watch kind of a detail. And I find if I okay. watch stuff on my iPad or on my phone, I pay better attention to the details.
0: Oh, really? Yeah.
1: So if it's on TV, I don't necessarily catch all the same things. So I tend to watch things that I need to record this for on a phone or an iPad, which is, you know, not the best way oh, to watch it. But I do find I pick up more on the scenery, the
0: aesthetic,
1: really. Yeah. Like yeah. the things in the background that maybe I should be paying attention to.
0: I have a comically small TV, as we have discussed previously. So <laughs> it's kind of like watching it on the I phone know, or yeah, an iPad. I did notice, for example, uh, in one of the episodes that Steve Martin's character has a film or a TV print of Brazos on his wall, like his career highlights there. I think that um, Martin Short has a kind of a painted wall in one point that looks like a theatre background from his last show, which yes. I laughed at. Too. Yeah. <laughs> did you see that? Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. I wasn't imagining it. No,
1: it, it, it travels with him when he needs to travel with it. <laughs> yes.
0: What drew you to the show? I was looking for something that would be light entertainment in a way, um, as in not kind of Manhunter territory or the, the show that I had been watching before that um, was um, Castle. Castle. Um, which I love. I don't know if you've ever I watched it. I just started
1: it. watching it. I'm not kidding. Oh I my just started God. <laughs> watching it this week because it's on Hulu. And it said, if you like only murders in the building, you'll like this.
0: Yeah, that's probably, yeah, that that's funny. Um, I love it because I love Nathan Fillion. I was watching that and there's, I think, eight seasons of it. And there's 22 episodes a season because I'm not watching it over years as it was, produced and intended for. I was like, I need something, like you said, to, to cleanse the palate a bit. I didn't go too, I didn't stray too far, obviously, for my crime side of things. Uh, but I saw um, Disney Plus do a thing where they kind of cameo shows at the top screen when you log in. And I just saw um, I saw Martin Short and I saw Steve Martin and I immediately clicked on it. I went, "What's this? This is going to be good." And uh, I watched that little trailer of uh, about twenty seconds or so, and it covers what you read out there in the Hulu description. And I was like, "Oh yeah, no, I, I'm going to give this a I'm going to give this a go and see if uh, if it hooks me in." Um, it immediately did. Like the, the first episode, I was like, "Yes, next." <laughs> so, that was what drew me
1: so i had seen i think it was like an ad on twitter i want to be honest with you i think it was an ad on twitter that it was like you know coming soon to hulu only murders in the building and it was the 22nd trailer it caught my attention because if you're going to put steve martin and martin short in a movie together in a a project together you're going to have my attention i go back with these two to like 1986 three amigos uh, yes i love that film Just the, the comedic banter between them and then the Father of the Bride franchise. There's there's just yes. so much between these two. And then just in researching for this podcast, finding out that these two have been lifelong friends since Three Amigos to the point that, like, if Steve Martin and his wife are having a dinner party and Martin Short can't come, they cancel it. Oh,
0: really? Because oh, that's he, so just, nice.
1: he brings such, you know, just
0: fervor to the table you know probably he's slightly more forgotten about by time than steve martin because obviously steve martin was the main character in that but i remember watching father of the bride as a kid and like the frank martin shorts character was just the one that we all were imitating and yeah exactly and then george (laughs) Fox. yeah (laughs) I loved uh, Inner Space was one of my favorite I films. I love that movie. <laughs> Absolutely loved Inner Space and Martin Short in that. It's has been a, a lifelong adoration of him. And, and every time he opens his mouth in Only Murders in the Building, I just, he's amazing. He's I'm so ready good. to laugh.
1: I'd seen the ad on Twitter and then Caroline from Pod Clubhouse reached out to me and she said she thinks I would really like Only Murders in the Building. It's on Hulu and it screams Sheila. And I was like, oh, I said, it's high on my list to watch. I said, now it will bubble up higher because now it came as a recommendation that it screams Sheila. And then she apologized because she watched the second episode where they make fun of Long
0: Island. (laughs) (laughs) And... They make fun of Irish people a little bit as well. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. So it's funny that Caroline had that reaction because I texted you going, have you seen this show? I think you like it. (laughs) And you're like, have we? Yeah, so we were we were totally on the same page. So she had texted me after the second episode. She says, "Oh Lord, I just watched
1: episode two. I didn't know there was going to be any Long Island jabs. That certainly did not scream Sheila." I was like, "No, I'll take it." No, that actually does scream. <laughs> Sheila. It really, really did scream Sheila, especially the jab at Long Island was about the Long Island accent, the Long Island accent, because you have to have yes. that hard G become a k sound to make you like authentic long island. And it's so funny because like I I live on Long Island. I I was born on this island. I was born in Queens, but this is a very weird demographic where it's not a very big area in terms of, you know, demographics, but there are very niche accents on this one island I mean Ireland as well is a very small place, but it has very niche accents as well absolutely like there's a big difference between someone from Queens who says Long Island versus someone from Long Island who says Long Island <laughs>
0: right I, I actually wouldn't even equate Queens as being Long Island I know it is geographically, geographically right <laughs> but I like Meeting John versus, like, having known you guys growing up. uh, I was like, oh, that is a very strong accent. (laughs) And, of course, John struggles to understand us sometimes, too. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Sometimes he's just like, is that English? I'm like, yes. Yes, it is.
1: (laughs) I didn't think that I had much of an accent until I heard myself back on these podcasts. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, there there you go. I'm so sorry that, like, people have to listen to this accent because it's there and I'm aware of it now.
0: (laughs) I think maybe it's a little bit stronger from having lived in Long Island for so long. Very good, very good. The, the go. GK. <laughs> it's not the same as to John or like when I go out with you guys there, I, I can hear the difference. So there's, you're, you're subtly slightly different. But yeah, as a non-American, um, a lot of people tend to say oh, Americans have the same accent overall. 50 states which is clearly not true people people think that and then they, they're shocked by how different people from different parts of say Ireland or Scotland or the UK sound but it is there in the U- United States it's just more subtle I think there's bigger differences in the Yeah I mean if you islands.
1: put somebody who has an accent from Alabama Next to someone who has a, like a, a New York a accent. accent or a Boston. Yes. Boston's another place that has a very distinct accent. Whereas yes. then if you go more to like the Pacific Northwest where it becomes a lot flatter. Yeah, it's very different. But uh, I mean, like we're a large country for like that kind of a dem- demographic, but like Ireland, like if, if y'all have never heard people from Ireland talk, go find someone who lives in Derry, go find someone who lives in Dublin and go find someone who lives in Clare. And you're going to hear three different,
0: very varied ways of speaking. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend Dairy Girl. Oh, um, hell yeah. I guess, it's on, is it on Netflix for It's you? on
1: Netflix here for us. I
0: recommend watching with captions if you're not familiar with it. <laughs> that, that is true. With the accent. Um, and if, if you can also watch with an Irish person to explain all the underlying jokes, that helps immensely as well.
1: Yep. Yeah. I'll
0: be happy to volunteer. <laughs> I, uh, I watched that show, um, Dairy Girls, with my friends here in Sardinia. And um, I, there was just so many things that I was bursting out laughing with. We had to pause so I could explain, like, the cultural differences. <laughs> so it's still an absolutely accessible show for everybody. But it, there's just it's it's fantastic. It's such a brilliantly written show as well. Maybe we should do a podcast on that next it's year. It's coming like. back. It's coming back. Yes, so, yes, is. we will. Okay. So I think
1: we've talked enough about the things that we like about the show and where we've gotten to at this point with who was cast, where it was set, um, who brought it to us. Um, Let's give our initial love it or leave it. Is this something that someone who hasn't watched it to this point should sit down and watch Orla?
0: For Me, absolutely 100% yes, and in fact, I've, I've recommended it to a couple of people already well, more than a couple, a handful of people, and um, which I don't often do. Um, I'm not the, the person who says, Oh, you should see this show, um, because I often don't p- watch or, or like shows that are in the popular uh, m- moment. I, I tend to come to them afterwards if there's too much hype about them, it doesn't draw me in. I like to kind of Uh, consume it on my own terms but i absolutely love this show the great thing about it in a way is that it's compact um there's it's not a a sprawling 22 season 22 episode season if you're not a big tv watcher during the week if you don't have time or your your family life is too busy this is something that you can really enjoy in a, a few weeks and get into it
1: So for me, this is a love it as well, because for a lot of the same reasons, what drew me in was what made me stay, uh, what drew me in was Steve Martin and Martin Short. And I stayed because the, the story was so good. It was so energetic. It took me in directions that I didn't even see coming, which I think is a really good testament to the writing and the storytelling, um, yes. I, I too often don't consume things in the moment. Like, uh, I'll give you a great example. Game of Thrones. I came to in the last season, watched all of I it. still on, haven't
0: watched it. <laughs> I watched all of
1: it on the train. Um, I was training into work at that time before, pre, you know, BC before COVID. Um, but this is something that caught my attention early. And when, you know, I get texts like that from my friend, Caroline, who said, you know, this is something that screams you like, cause they know that I like true crime and, um, I like things that are funny. And so when it comes as a personal recommendation, I, I kind of listen to those as well. And this is something that I too have turned around to other people and be like, you need to watch this. It's just so funny. Yes. It's so good. There's not a lot out there that's like this. So that's what I kind of like as well. And it's not reality TV. I hate reality TV. Sorry to all the reality TV people. I I need a good story.
0: Yes. Um, and a well-produced show like that is, is, is my my thing too. Absolutely. So
1: now we're going to go into the spoilery half where we can like talk about everything freely. So if you have not if you have not watched, we recommend that you take 300 minutes and go and watch <laughs> this. <on>. It's ten <laughs> episodes. <very> <laughs> it's, they're about a half hour each. There's ten episodes. It's about 300 minutes. Um, okay. <laughs> I recommend that you go do that. If you have not watched it, this is definitely you know 300 minutes that is worth your time. You're gonna laugh. You're gonna fall in love with these characters. I I will personally guarantee that. So, but if you have watched, let's continue on the journey. Let's talk about this, this capery, wholeheartedly loved show by the two of us. Absolutely. Okay. So last warning, if you have not watched, you're going to be disappointed because we're going to, we're going to, we're basically going to talk about the last episode in the next 30 seconds. So five, four, three, two one okay now we're in the spoilery half of the podcast welcome back if you if you are joining us for a second time or thanks for sticking with us if you have been listening since the beginning so now we are going to talk about the things that we loved about the show the things that we didn't like about the show favorite episodes
0: the plot how it ended can we start there oh my gosh (laughs) no i think we have to start the not the start start but like i think you gotta build it up a little bit because it's just such a great ending you can't just dive in there
1: OK, let me ask you, though, is the ending anything you saw coming?
0: No, no. I, I normally kind of get the whole um, Chekhov's gun thing a little bit into a show. Um, and so I enjoy the, the feeling of going, oh, I understand that that's going to be the person and finding out why that will be the person that committed the murder. In this case, in this show, I had no idea. It was just, you're hooked and then you're you're pulled by the hook in a direction and then they like swing around and send you flying in the other direction. It's not in a lazy way. It's like you're brought along with this very complete story and you really, all the other, all the main characters' secret lives get exposed little by little through this storytelling you're, you're, you're like convinced this is where it's going. This is what's going to happen. And then they just spin you around and send you off in another direction completely. And it's wonderful for that reason.
1: Let me ask you a question. So out of the cameos that we have, we have, so we talked about Tina Fey, we talked about Jimmy Fallon. Um, there was also Jibuki Young-White. He was one of the Arcodian, the, the Arcodian, oh, the fans. He's from the Daily yes. Show. okay. I don't know him. I didn't notice him on the first watch. I noticed him on the... I'm like, wait, why do I know your face? (laughs) And then the two big... Well, Sting had a cameo. Like, that was a big cameo. And then Nathan Lane had sort of, like, a, a recurring character. Yes, and was fabulous. Bringing in these types of stars, you know, did that do anything for you in terms of, like, your interest in the show? Or did you just... You were just along for the ride at this point?
0: I think I, I would. It's fair to say I was along for the ride. But when you see actors of the caliber of Nathan Lane and Tina Fey and um, uh, Jane Lynch, in the end, that's her name, right? Yeah. Oh my god, I just yeah. forgot about Jane Lynch. <laughs> yeah, God, um, I love her. Yeah, exactly. That no, no shade is, meant Jane Lynch. I apologize. She was incredible, um, and she. There are actors that are. There because they absolutely amplify the role that they're in, um, and are amazing. Um, I think they're all a, a, um, a type of actor, a certain type of actor. You know, the the comedy actor, but with so so smart, so clever, and they're just um, there are other characters that are sort of central to the plot in a way a uh, tie-dye guy who i don't know that actor um he's not somebody i've come across before i don't think didn't add to the show in the same way that for the likes uh, for me for the likes of nathan lane did that's no no um shade to him but it's just i guess when you see when you're already familiar with an actor and you know that you like their work it, it, it's an extra hook isn't it
1: So I'll say that, like, for instance, Detective Williams, D. Williams, Divine Joy Randolph. I wasn't really familiar with anything that she had done either. But for me, she was very much an interesting... Oh, she was in United States versus Billie
0: Holiday. She was a perfect New York cop. Very dry, quite jaded, but not completely detached from... Yes. Her work. I enjoyed her complexity and I I loved the fact that they
1: gave her a spotlight. Like it's sort of like in the middle of the series, like we started getting points of view from you know different characters. We had an episode from from her point of view, and I just I appreciated learning a little bit about her and just knowing where she comes from because her her introduction, if she if she played no other role in the series other than what we saw in episode one where she says what what true crime fucking podcast are you people all listening to she was just yeah. she just came across as just yes that quintessential like do not mess with me
0: new york she had high. their she had their number straight away she was like oh god not another like <laughs> yeah. god, get out of my way get out of my face stop annoying me but she was brilliant yeah
1: and then just you know f- like finding out her sort of background like you know where she's where she lives what she's going what else is going on in her life like she's got some big stressors going on in her life she's about to have a child with her partner yes you know she's dealing with the cases that she comes across and you know that it's hard work being a cop giving her the depth, I think, was important. Absolutely.
0: that You reminded me of something there that I'd forgotten about, but that's absolutely one of the things that kept me hooked on the show was the way that they did in the middle of the series, the approach from the, the, the a different character's point of view, what was going on in their world, tangential to the murder. What was your favorite episode? Let me backtrack to there. Ooh, that's a really difficult question. <laughs> Um, (laughs) uh, I think it would have to be episode nine, which is the second to last episode. Okay. So that was, um, double time. That's when the one where Jane Lynch stars for the first time. There's a major twist in the tale as, as we know. Um, so it's been building for a couple of episodes this, uh, we can we can say everything now, right? We're yeah. in the spoiler you're, you're, section. You're, clear, you're cleared for takeoff. <laughs> <laughs> the, this relationship with Jan, the bassoonist, uh, who has the fantastic line, "See you bassooner or later." Oh, my punny um, heart just loved that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> her relationship with Charles Charles Hayden Savage is developing. Um, you know, he immediately. Um, brings her into the trio, which the other two, uh, Selena Gomez, uh, Mabel and Oliver, don't like, obviously, because they have formed their own little trio. And of course, whenever that gets um, a new person introduced to it, it mixes things up, it changes the dynamic, and doesn't always make for things to be a better situation. So she, her character comes in um, over the, the, I think it's episodes. Six, seven, eight—is it or is it—is it six? I'm not sure. Which? Um, oh, Jan's character. Uh, yeah, about six. Jan's character. She doesn't seem to be any of the, you know, the focus of attention at the beginning. But um, there's a little romantic interlude between herself and Charles across the courtyard, um, and. Uh, they both have a passion for music and um, and they, they start to have a relationship and that starts to develop. Um, and then episode nine is a really emotional episode, uh, I think, because yeah, um,
1: definitely.
0: it starts with her having been attacked and recovering from the attack, being nursed back to health by Charles. And it's kind of there's pathos because she had been kicked out of the group the the little trio um trouble uh trouble shooting the what what was happening, you know because episode eight is where you think that the series is going to end. it doesn't, and then they're back the next week with a new episode of the podcast. They're trying to figure out, okay, well, if that wasn't, they weren't the suspects and uh, they weren't the people who committed the murder they're They're back to starting from scratch in a way again and Jan is feeding in her ideas and the the group are not um not impressed with her input and she goes off and then um she's she's attacked or so we think
1: two things I wanted to talk about there so I just want to backtrack to what you said about um how the courtship between Charles and Jan sort of came about so I I don't know if a lot of people know this about Steve Martin he's also a really accomplished musician
0: I Didn't know about it, um, but there is a bit in the opening um, episode, I think it's the opening episode, where they're recording the podcast, and it's just such a perfect piece of writing for me. Um, I think this is what you're going to talk about. You know, they're doing the classic podcast introduction, and there's a melodic piece of music playing in the background uh, on a concertina. And the camera pans out, and you see that he is sitting on a stool in his wardrobe. <laughs> and he's doing the um, the introduction, speaking the, the voiceover part. And he's actually playing the concertina at the same time. And that just killed me. That was so good.
1: So, yeah. So, Steve Martin... Is a phenomenal musician. Um, I know him as a banjo player. Um, he's he has a, a wonderful duet with Dolly Parton. He's got several albums out. You can find them on Spotify. So that oh, wow. was one, that was one of my high hopes in coming into this that there was going to be some foray into his musical talents as well, because he is so good. And like, I feel like that part that little monologue he had about Brazos, that like he could pick up a musical instrument, save as his dad, I feel like that's Steve Martin, because I did not know about the concertina, which is like a mini accordion. Um, yes. People are not that's what it's called, it. right? That's
0: what we call it in yeah. Ireland. So.
1: And then, um, but uh, you know, it gives a, a great interlude with, with Oliver here. Cause he talks about, you know, if Steve, uh, Charles Hayden Savage thinks that the concertina is haunting where, Oliver it takes the the decidedly different track that it reminds him of being in the potato famine in the 1800s in Ireland, which there is nothing hilarious about the potato famine. I mean, there
0: is nothing funny about it, but his delivery of it is priceless because i don't know if that's one of those things that just hits you in the footy boat yeah. I mean, and it's, so
1: it's so it's so devastating a part of history but the the, the take on it the delivery it, yeah the deadpan face that he has but also in using the music and steve martin being a he's actually playing it you know as a as a way to court jan it was just there was so much in that little back and forth play in the courtyard between them that I don't think that you could have developed the chemistry better. No, exactly. In such a short period of time. Yes. And it really advanced their relationship, you know, from shy. I think I like you to Hey, we're having dinner tonight. So I I just, I like the fact that they did that, that, that they were able to bring in that, that little part about Steve Martin. And then also just to talk about what you liked about episode nine with Jane Lynch playing um Saz Pataki. What a freaking cool name is Saz Pataki.
0: Saz Pataki was amazing. I mean, there was a, a still before I watched episode nine. Um, you know, like the as you click on the the episode, and I was like, is that? Is that Jane Lynch? And then, like, when her character comes in and she's Brazos, still double, double and it's just perfect. And she, she just continues through the whole episode mirroring him. I mean, just from the the glasses, pushing the glasses yeah, up Yeah, but she nose. pushes the glasses up her nose. And like standing with their hand on the chin, you know, in contemplation. She clearly dominates his character, which is hilarious as well, because, you know, she's the sub-double. She's not the main character. And yet uh, Charles is very kind of sad that, you know, everybody on set preferred her and she was the one that they all missed uh, when the show ended. Um, You know, he's you can see that he's like, oh, God, I hope my new trio friend or my new two friends don't feel the same way and, and, and that Jan doesn't feel that way about her like he he doesn't quite know how to deal with it uh, but she is just phenomenal she uh, all the cameos I felt were so strong but hers was my favorite by far but also I really like Jane
1: Lynch's character Saswataki here because it just you know sort of like a tangent here but it really takes a sideswipe at the sexism that exists in the industry Yes. So I found this article that talked about like the sexism that's rampant in, especially in the stunt industry, where there's a term called wigging. I didn't know about this, where like a man is basically dons a wig and will do a stunt double for a female rather than hire a female stunt double. And there's been lawsuits and things like that. And it's still I mean, it's better, but it's not great. But I just like the fact that this like plainly put front and center all those notions about sexism and the fact that it was reversed. That she was a female playing a man. I just like the oldest this, this tongue-in-cheek, you know, notion that they had about it.
0: See, Martin Brazos says she was the better liked character. She was the better liked person on on set, and um, so it, it's a real kind of you know, there, there's so much depth to that statement without actually saying anything, which is wonderful. And she also brings
1: the the storyline along in into heading us into the final conclusion into the final big reveal where she's talking about this being a crime of passion yes and she
0: has that insight
1: yeah they hadn't really explored that or even had that on their radar and she gives them enough of a push to send them to send the investigation in a whole new direction
0: absolutely <laughs> to use brazos's line yes exactly <laughs> you know when she says it you're like oh wow yeah that's kind of obvious but it's it's that outside perspective of, of um when when there's a group of people together and they get too group thinky, and somebody comes in and goes oh well, have you considered this thing but they're a little bit annoyed about it at first but then they're like Oh yeah. And yeah, then it goes off on the hilarious um tangent of Oliver being obsessed with the the box of sex toys, which are not necessarily <laughs> sex toys, and he's trying to pretend that he knows what they all are.
1: Also having Saz's perspective is perfect here because we're in episode 9. Like we episode 8 could have been the resolution. But now yes. the the fact that the the Demises were exonerated in 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 this murder, um, in the Tim Kono murder, basically left them flailing as to well, there's still a murderer out there, and this gave them enough of a, a direction in order to figure figure it out and um and, and ultimately you know get their woman
0: <laughs> exactly. Without, and there's the ba- the major spoiler because all the way along they are male suspects.
1: Yes. Decidedly so. And they, they always refer to the killer as he, uh, making, just making that assumption. My favorite episode was, um, actually the boy in 6B.
0: Oh, that was a great episode too. Yes. The
1: episode was silent. There's just a little bit of music in the background, but everything was from Theo's perspective. Theo Demas, son of Teddy Demas, who owns a bunch of delis in New York and is a sponsor of the podcast and, and a suspect in the murder at one point. But I really like this episode because of the silence. It's, it's from his perspective. It's Anything you see is captioned because he's doing lip reading. It, it just, it takes the the acting. It takes the attention to a different heightened level, like, because now, um, and I'll just use Jan and Charles's interaction. They could have spoken. Yes. They they were, they didn't. And they were just dancing and they were having this, um, suggestive game of Scrabble. Um, (laughs) I just, I just enjoyed so much how, how much they were able to develop the characters in an episode where nobody spoke? That was incredible, right? That was just like you texted me right away. I think you'd watched it before I did. Go like there, nobody speaks in the episode. It hooked me because there was recently there's a show on Paramount called Evil. But one of the episodes, they go to a monastery where the monks are silent, and they have to agree to abide by the silence. So half of the episode is silent. And it was very compelling and they have to do a lot more with their body language and their facial expressions. And so I was just like, Oh, that's really good. So then when you said that this one was silent, I was like, Oh my God, the whole thing is silent. It's so much better because it makes you pay attention and makes you like, try to figure out like, you know, well, what am I missing from the tone? Like you don't realize how much tone and body language and everything else plays into into a conversation you know so like
0: if if like plus be, the music I'd the music use, in that episode was was extra i guess we were extra aware of it because yeah. there was nobody talking over it right and um, it created such suspense as you're going along um and i don't know if you recall but um a years and years and years ago <laughs> there was an episode of buffy where demons stole their voices and they couldn't speak. Oh my god, wow. And it was a phenomenal episode and I think it won awards. Um I think it won uh, a, an award for that episode like in the first couple of minutes of uh episode 6 is it episode 6? Um the boy in 6B. Feet? yeah, I believe it's 6, yeah. Uh when when I saw that I was like, "Oh, that's a cool nod to that episode, you know?" Um and it's it's a huge challenge to make an episode so engaging without anyone speaking but yeah and yes bring the whole story along is just quality amazing yeah
1: so that was my favorite episode and also because where I thought I was like alright we got it wrapped up it's going to be the Demuses and then they're going to wrap it up because I didn't know that this was a 10 episode I thought this was an 8 episode season so I thought it was, it was setting us up for like the finale of season of um, episode 8 because right. we, we did learn through the work of the podcast that Theo was involved in the murder of 10 years ago. And we, we get like, sort of like a lot of loose ends starting to get wrapped up. And I was like, Oh, this is perfect. Saz points us and takes the investigation in a whole new different direction.
0: Which in a way is is like them playing with the audience as well, because like you say, you're expecting it to be eight episodes because it's a smaller show. It's not like a, you know, a 22 episode season. And then it's actually 10, which isn't really that common. So they're messing with us a little bit in that way, too. A little bit. And then my favorite cameo was Sting. Had to be Sting. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Again, that was like, you know, text message straight away. Oh, my God, have you seen? Yeah, exactly.
1: (laughs) The, the the fact that they were able to get Sting to do this is is amazing,
0: and he wasn't just a cameo in the sense that he's in the background or he has a one liner or anything like that. He is a proper cameo. He's he's a suspect. <laughs> he's a suspect. <laughs> There's I've forgotten it now, and this is why I need to go back and rewatch this episode. But there is a joke that about him being in the police and Mabel not realizing that the police. Is the band? Yeah. <laughs> and that was fantastic as
1: well. <laughs> so Sting actually has a residence in Manhattan. He's lived in Manhattan for part of his life for as long as I can remember. He's a fixture. Like people run into him. And my friend Carol, her father, Frank feely had run into Sting not once but twice. He didn't know who he was, so you know, Ugh. my my friend's dad. He's he's the type of person who he he'll he'll make friends wherever he goes, kind of a thing. He ran into Sting in the street, and they got to chatting. And um, you know, he asked his name. And he says, "My name is Sting." He goes, "Is that your first name or is it your given name? <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that your given name or your family name?" Is how he asked it. And then right. you know, and I, Sting kind of chuckled, like I guess enjoying the fact that this guy didn't know who he was. Uh, it was yeah. in the '80s, so you know he hadn't, you know, necessarily been as big as he is now. Um, right. But then they bumped into each other not long after that, and Sting remembered him.
0: Oh wow! Yeah.
1: So, so the fact that they got him to to be in the show in this role for me was just such a chuckling moment because because like I said, he is this
0: New York fixture. I didn't know that, uh, but I, I to me it was the tie into the music again. But that just worked out so well, because so I found an article about
1: how, like, how did they get Sting? Like, it's pretty random. But at the same time, like, when you put it into this context, like I said, like, he's he's known to New York. Uh, Steve Martin is friends with Sting. Sting was in, um, I think it was Cheaper by the Dozen. He makes a cameo. So they've stayed in touch. They wanted basically, like, a star that was known to everybody. It has to be someone you know, who's just like, yeah, basically universally acknowledged. And so they got on, you know, they said, well, how about Sting? And it was just one of these things. It's like, you know, could we land him? And this was, so they were casting this during the pandemic and, you know, so they get on a zoom call and they're, they're zooming with Sting who's in a French chateau. This is how he was laying up in the pandemic. And they just asked him (laughs) and he said that he was down for it completely. He came to play and he was just so fantastically, ready so he knew that he wasn't supposed to like dogs the so the issue with Winnie right the um, Oliver's dog with Oliver's dog so they they were just so blown away by the fact that he was so comedic and he was just so prepared and just so ready to to do whatever they needed to make
0: this work and he's actually good like I'm not surprised I don't mean that's sense of surprise but like he's obviously a mega star musician but I don't know if he's an actor, you know, it's not... He's been
1: in a few things. Like, he was in the first Dune way back in the day. Oh, yes. Yes, he was. But he doesn't do a ton of acting. But comedy is different, right? Comedy is very different. I think comedy is probably among the harder to play because you have to, you know, the timing has to be right, the the body language, the the delivery has to be. But then... totally
0: forgot about Dune. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: So then when when you parallel... Sting and his role and the, the New York aspect of him and then some of his music does lend itself to the, the, the creepy and psychopathic as is discussed in the show yeah 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 <laughs> every breath you brand take. take but yeah. then also like don't stand so close to me and we get like a, this this very (laughs) Oliver in the lift in the the lift Oliver you know Winnie don't stand so close to Sting but then (laughs) when Oliver is teasing out his suspects he has in his you know he does this on the stage with all the the different actors in the building and he gets Sting on the stage singing don't stand so close to me and it's just him and a guitar and a spotlight and it's beautiful and but at the same time if you're listening to the lyrics you know there's it's, it's a little it's a little psychopathy as well
0: yes also i loved going back to uh, what we were talking about the first half of the podcast the decor in, St- in sting's apartment was phenomenal it's all like um uh, indian influences and um and just, then a random uh, like, you XO, would imagine, and an exo neon light i don't know just <laughs> uh, yeah for no reason <laughs> but it just, it, it, it's kind of what you would imagine is the inside of his, uh, his, his apartment would be like or his house or his chateau in France.
1: So initially, yeah, they wanted um, a widely, widely recognizable celebrity, but initially they were thinking they would just have to kind of like make up somebody. Then that's how like the conversation sort of like, you know, wound its way. Could we get somebody who is widely recognizable who can also act? And, you know, Steve Martin threw out there that, you know, well, I know Sting, and he's done a couple of things. And then that's how, that's how that happens. So I, I love when you hear, that's fantastic. like, this would be our wildest imagination kind of a pick, and then it actually happens. And the payoff is just so fantastic.
0: It's also just not something you'd expect to see in a show like that, right? Um, it, again, it brings you back to, like, this grand old building which as you said is a character in of itself and it's totally believable that rich and famous you know musicians live there as well as you know once upon a time famous um tv stars and the theater directors so it, it brings the whole thing together as completely concrete for me
1: um were there any plot points that did not work for you Um, And I guess what I mean by that is, I guess some of the criticism has kind of revolved around that this is, you know, it took them a long time to, like, get to where they were going.
0: Yes, the meandering part of it. I enjoyed that, so I don't know. I mean, because it's only 10 episodes, it's not so annoying. If it was over 22 episodes, yes, that would drive you crazy, right? In the eight, uh, or sorry, in the 10 episodes, it flows for me. The The storylines I didn't like, well, <laughs> I didn't like uh, um, Evelyn the sixth um, and <laughs> her little storyline, um, just because I was completely grossed out by it. Yeah, it was pretty gross. Um, this is going to be a bit weird, but Tim Kono, to me, was never developed as a person which maybe is deliberate and is, is, you know, a setup for coming soon. But it was hard to feel um, attachment to him as the victim, which is unusual in a murder show. Did you feel like that? You know, I didn't even think about it
1: that way, that while this is about his murder, it's not about him. I didn't even think about that. That's a really interesting point because the only things we learn about him is stuff that helps their investigation. It's nothing really about him. And the only time we get anything substantive about him is when they're talking about the accidental uh, murder from 10 years ago that puts tie dye guy in prison. Right. So we, well, even then we don't
0: get anything from his perspective, nothing. No, it's, it's, which in a way is, is fantastic. Right. Because that's totally different. Um, than what you would be used to expecting, to me that you're like you're, I was just kind of left at the end of episode ten going, if he wasn't the victim, he was totally pointless, which is an odd feeling at the end of a true crime show.
1: Yeah, that, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that because we, I thought like I got excited when like episode ten opened up and we were getting it like Tim talking to us in the camera, right? You know. Yes,
0: me too. And I thought, oh, here it comes. Here is the Tim Kono point of view episode but I missed the fact that they didn't develop him at all
1: yeah past you know he was trying to take down a jewelry ring and he you know lost all of Sting's money (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I liked how that was like very interwoven, and then Sting's guilt over like guilt and relief for the fact that he was murdered and didn't commit suicide was just so divinely deliciously macabre. Yes, yeah, very dark, very dark. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, it's it's rare that someone is relieved that someone was murdered as opposed to killing themselves. Um, but I think yeah. I thought that Sting did that very well. So I will say that on Rotten Tomatoes, this has a one hundred percent rating, which is. Oh, wow. Rare. That's um, very rare. But some of the criticism that I had that I had read was that, um, you know, that it took them a long time to sort of like find their footing. I'm like, people, these are not seasoned investigators. They're not journalists. They're not cops. Yes. They're not detectives. They they have nothing there other than their interest in true crime. So the fact that they found out as much as they did, I think, is really like they need like a little feather in their cap.
0: Also, the fact that, you know, you're peeling apart their complex lives as you're going along. Like, so there's other things happening in their lives. It's not, this is not the only thing they do. Although it seems that way. <laughs> it does seem that way. But then every so often you realize, no,
1: it's not. Like, so. Right. You know, that Oliver has a family and he's he's struggling with connectedness there. Struggling to just even pay his rent. Right. He's building fees. Yeah. You see, like, all the past due... But I just enjoyed how they they
0: were able to tie all of them together. As shows go, there aren't loose ends, right? There, the, the final lines are like, oh, there's a few loose ends to be tied up. And I was sitting there kind of going, what loose ends? <laughs> so maybe I need to, to go through a second yeah, watch myself. I
1: couldn't, I couldn't really come up with a, anything, but I think maybe she just had like a, you know, maybe a niggling feeling about something. Um, yes. And then, so the other thing too, the like tie dye guy Oscar, he didn't really do a ton for me.
0: He he wasn't pivotal. Though I mean, his acting is good. He's not a bad character. He's not a yeah. Weak no character. shade against
1: the actor, but it just yeah,
0: it's not a weak character. It's just, well, it is a weak character in the sense that you're like, what does this add to the story? It, it's I guess all it adds for, was that it was a distraction in another direction,
1: right yeah like do it the the tie-dye shirt going up the stairs during the fire alarm up the stairs cre- in creates a fire alarm alarm where everybody is
0: leaving yes yeah. exactly but i do
1: appreciate the fact that they had to move around to record their podcast at several several points uh they were in the living room at one point then they were in a closet i record yes. this in a bathroom in my house <laughs> <laughs> Where everybody knows the
0: acoustics are better. <laughs> well,
1: yeah, it's it's more like it's the quietest place in my house because like we get street noise, you know, dogs barking. I have to find a place that I don't have a basement, right? So I have to find a place that it's quiet enough to record, but I do have to deal with, you know, sounds that live back here, like my oil burner clicking on every once in a while. So I appreciate the fact that they show the realities of podcasting. It's not just like you can plunk down at a table and, you know, it's always going to be
0: perfect. Exactly. And I don't know if you were, I'm going to go and say this, but one of the things I absolutely uh, loved was uh, in the later episodes, they use Oliver and Mabel. Oliver uses Mabel, uh, not Mabel, sorry, Winnie's cart, his dog's cart, mm-hmm. for carting around all of the podcasting equipment, <laughs> including the boom mic. <laughs> and because uh, <laughs> you're like, why is he pushing that around? <laughs> that and is then I realized. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, for one of the best scenes I thought in the final episode <laughs> was where Charles is drugged oh and they're in the basement. God. Yes. And he wants to talk to Jack. <laughs> And, like, he pulls off the stuff that's holding him onto the cart because that's how they transferred him around, um, Mabel and Oliver. And he gives this whole soliloquy about why he's disappointed and everything else. And then it cuts back to what they see. Oh, that was just brilliant. And it was just gibberish. It's just gibberish and he's drooling because he's still incapacitated from the drug (laughs) Fantastic, and I mean his acting just for that—getting out of the apartment, getting into the elevator, going downstairs. Everyone ignoring him and thinking that he's what was? What did they say? He's had a bit too much of Irish. The Irish flu. The Irish flu. I was like, oh my god, yes.
1: The same thing happened to Sting. Don't tell anyone I told you. (laughs) Just that whole comedic, the the physical comedy in that whole scene was I just was chuckling to myself. I was like you know, to the point that like when you're watching something on your iPad with headphones and you start randomly laughing, the people around you kind of stare at you. Yes. So that had me in It's involuntary. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fact that he sings Siri I don't feel good and Siri plays Fields of Gold
0: (laughs) I mean, there's just, it's I think so he's rich. <laughs> he tries to move <laughs> across <laughs> he's the, in the elevator. He's the elevator, it's
1: still going. <laughs> um, you know, Bunny
0: hops on the elevator and just like, oh. Mm. He's taking his eviction uh, a, a little too hard.
1: But like, episode 10 really is gold from start to finish. There's so oh much gosh. in it that, I mean, I watched it twice because we just got the screener access just for us just yesterday. So I watched it twice. I watched it once last night and once this morning just to kind of refresh. And then in watching it back the way that I did from binging it, the very beginning of episode one is the very end of episode 10. We just don't see who's in the sweatshirt in episode one. Oh, the very opening, I... the very opening was... is them pounding down the stairs. We got to get her. We got to get Mabel. We got to get out of here. And then oh, they... I was like,
0: where did I see that? Was that in the trailer? Uh, Cause they... I only got to watch the episode, the episode 10 once so far and then when they flip the body over and you're like yeah you have all kinds of assumptions and that's a storyline that I totally forgotten about right from the first episode because it's so involved there's so many things happening
1: so there's a couple of things I just wanted to highlight so this got picked up for season two I think in its second week wow so the first three episodes dropped episode four came out they were they were renewed before episode five So basically two weeks after it was dropped, it was Mm -hmm. renewed for season two, which the end thankfully gives us a nice hook for season two. If that's where they decide to go, they already have their storyline laid
0: out. Well, I think they they have because, you know, otherwise Tina Fey wouldn't be coming back to us that line about you'll be stocking the NPR fridge with LaCroix for the rest of your life. (laughs) Also, made me first out laughing in the wee hours
1: here. <laughs> so, there's a moment in one of the episodes, and I can't find my note about it now, where it cuts to Cindy Canning and she's talking, and it says, the caption says, it's a few months from now, and she's talking about only murderers in the building. Yes, yes so this was before they got renewed so there's something that's coming yeah it's a teaser basically that syndicanning will be narrating the the story as it goes along so I'm excited for that
0: that yeah I think that was in episode 4 I'm not going to swear on that but um, I think that when I heard that I thought oh I, I, my brain went to a totally different place. I don't know what you thought, but I thought, oh, she takes over their podcast. I didn't know what
1: to think about that. But the most logical thing was that she would have taken it over. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, and that like she would become the baddie somehow. That's what I thought was going to happen. Right. Cause she'd already um, been acquired
1: for $30 million and she had, you know, she had a lot going for her.
0: She was the experienced podcaster for True Crimes, because that's how they all got hooked in the first place. So I thought she was going to steal his idea. And then when she appears on Jimmy Fallon and she starts talking about it, I thought she was going to say, I didn't expect it to go the route that it did. I expected it to be her saying, and I started this new podcast, Only Murders in the Build. Like, I thought that was going to be her, like, claiming it. Right. Which... I guess doesn't really make sense because it was already out there in the world and there were people listening to it. But like, I think at one point they say there's seven people listening. <laughs> so that's not exactly um, confirmation that it's, it's publicly known.
1: <laughs> All right. I can't find where it was, but definitely she says it. Because I made note of it being that it says it's a few months from now.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, I feel like it was episode four. Yeah, it was somewhere in the middle there. Those are all of the teasers, I suppose, but they're so subtly done that it just kind of makes your, you spin a little bit, but not go down that track. Like I've, You've forgotten that by the time you're into two episodes later.
1: Right. So there's so much here that I definitely recommend if you have watched it, like you're supposed to have if you're listening to this point, to go back and watch it again because there's just so much in there. All of the stuff with Jan really oh, yeah. on the second watch became so apparent she was waffling back and forth between trying to get them to look at her and not look at her at the same time like she was like focusing on the Demises, and then she wanted to bring it back to the guy with the couch Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah so like yeah so with the poisoning and stuff like that
0: so there was a lot there and then just how she interjected herself into the solving of the crime right which is what often happens is people crave the spotlight they want people to see their geniusness
1: right so she needs to be caught in order to be found for her her great deviousness
0: and actually now that you say it the fact that she is trying to highlight to them when they restart in episode 9 that it could be what about the guy whose cat got poisoned right that's telling later on then in episode 9 or episode 10 uh, right for
1: episode 10 so then um you know Jan Jan's arc definitely warrants a second watch only because you just you see her in the in the different light of what you know her what she's become
0: and i think there's so many good characters in the show that a second watch i'm i'm already wanting to go back and watch it again now after talking to you because i'd forgotten nuances and bits um, that line about the potato famine, and i want to see just one more time again that was <laughs> spectacular the one thing i was just
1: curious about like so do you think that jan left the note for herself
0: no i don't because nobody else saw her receive that note and it's not picked up so i do think that there is somebody else almost following along in the sidelines not doing their own podcast but clearly trying to figure out who is the murderer
1: which would lend itself then to exactly how the the season ends
0: yes exactly and also, it's not surprising that in a building like that, that there's the local busy busybody who's keeping tabs on everybody. Right? Happens that happens. Every, in... Happens everywhere we go. Exactly. <laughs> 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 there, there's often that person in your work environment. There's there's often that person in your condominium, your apartment building that is the eyes and ears yeah. of the of the building, the neighborhood watch. Yeah, unofficial, right? So, is there anything else that we didn't talk about? I think it's interesting that the only time that they leave the Arconia is that day trip out to Long Island. (laughs) And I'm really working on my accent there. It's also fascinating that, that everything is so tightly centered around that from the show as well
1: so that basically brings us to the finale of this series and to our podcast we are going to give you our final love it or leave it recommendation and a little summary as to why we have that position and we'll call it a day from there all right orla what do you think was this a love it or leave it for you
0: this is 10 out of 10. Love it. Absolutely. And for me
1: as well, this was definitely a love it. I mean, we've talked for about an hour and a half about how much we enjoyed this this series. It's 10 episodes. It's easily digestible. It's 30 minutes. Like I said, it's about 300 minutes. The cameos are fantastic. The casting is superb, The way that Martin Short, Steve Martin and Selena Gomez gel together, despite their generational differences, despite their experience differences, is just really a testament to the the quality of their acting ability. And it makes me want to go out and seek out more things that Selena Gomez has been in, because I I really absolutely I know her as a pop singer. Mostly I know she's done some acting, but I just I loved how she was able to hold her own against these these titans of comedy.
0: Right, which is formidable, right? Because um, I was going to say, you know, we both were drawn to the show because of Steve Martin and Martin Short. But she is absolutely tied third character, you know, She, she is so important to the whole thing. And she delivers brilliant deadpan comedy. And she elevates them as well, which is phenomenal. Like, Kudos to her because that counts as being easy. No, I can only imagine her first
1: day on the set and just you know meeting these two and and just knowing what I know about the two of them, Steve Martin and Martin Short. I'm sure that they just like welcomed her with open arms. But still, like for her, I would be quaking in my boots if that was me. So kudos to her for being able to step up and and hold her own and shine in such a a a way that you know would be difficult for maybe someone else to do um next to these two who obviously they've known each other for
0: almost 40 years and the chemistry that you have because of a friendship of that length of time that you can riff off each other like that so naturally um it's hard to interject into that
1: but she did such a fantastic job. And it, like I said, it makes me want to go seek out other things that she's done. I am looking forward to season two because uh, of how it ends and, and the, the questions that I have. So yeah, this was a love it for me. I'm, I'm excited that it got picked up so early and that people are really starting to find the show. Uh, people have been asking me like, have you heard about Only Mur- Murders in the Building? I'm like, girl, I'm like, I'm doing a podcast on Sunday. About it. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> that's how far into it I am. So yes. um, so I'm excited for for that so when season two comes out you can definitely bet that there will be a love it or leave it from us so absolutely uh, i've already booked the how one. novel
0: for us to be at the forefront of knowing about something <laughs> exactly
1: exactly yeah so i'm i'm excited for for what's coming um i'm excited for people to to find the show and to you know be talking about it so um i'm excited for all that stuff that's coming
0: Thank you for having me.
1: If people wanted to find you on Twitter to continue the conversation about only murders in the building, where could they find you?
0: I am ass, O-R-L-A-M-C-G-A-N-N,
1: Orla McGann. On Twitter. And on Twitter, you can find me. I'm Shields McGangsta, uh with an A at the end. Um, the only thing gangster about me is my Twitter handle. Um, <laughs> and for Pod Clubhouse, you can find Pod Clubhouse on all the platforms, on all the things as at Pod Clubhouse. They're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. But you can find them at Pod Clubhouse all over the place there. So I thank you all for listening. I will see you again for the next one. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening.